This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Go 24-7 podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Billy Embody. With me, Shay Dixon, to break down what was a busy weekend, especially Thursday, Friday, Saturday, uh, for the NFL draft, which ran until Saturday, and LSU set a record, or tied a record with Ohio State for most draft picks in a single draft. We're not going to run down all of the picks for you guys, but we're going to share some of our thoughts on the draft, how it really played out for some of the Tigers that went uh, drafted. And look, we reacted to Joe Burrow going number one overall, which we've seen tons and tons of reaction to him going number one. He's talked with the media, uh, Zach Taylor, his head coach, Brian Callahan, the the offensive coordinator there has has talked with the media. We've, we've heard enough about Joe Burrow. We're going to jump into some of the other draft picks for the Tigers, as well as some of the undrafted free agents and, and where they landed uh, with their free agent contract. Shea, uh, that was a whirlwind, but I felt like it really flew by uh, when it was all said and done. Oh, my goodness, yes. I mean, to have three full days, it, uh, it was a lot of it, having to watch and track to see uh, with 20 draft-eligible guys, how often uh, and when they were being picked. But uh, to see 14 of them get picked across seven rounds and then to see the remaining six uh, all agree to uh, to undrafted free agent deals really within 24 hours of, of the draft, excuse me, of the draft ending um, is a good sign. I mean, that doesn't always happen. Not all of your undrafted free agents uh, land a deal. So um, they get, what, 14 ties the Ohio State record for most ever draft picks by a school in a single year. They break the SEC record, obviously broke the LSU program record. Uh, and then to have all 20 of those guys land on contract is a, a pretty big deal. A nice way to put a fitting in to a 15-0 season in national championship. Yeah, when we were following the draft and I, over those last two rounds was really where LSU missed out on, on setting the record for the most part. But uh, – a couple of them really jumped out to me as, as best picks. And uh, let's start with your best pick of, of the draft. Uh, who are you going with on that front? Uh, obviously, Joe Burrow is a great pick, great fit. <laughs> Certainly not a sleeper, but uh, who's, your, who's your best pick of the draft out of the LSU Tigers? You know, I think I've got to go, and I'm, I'm factoring in a number of things. Like, right, like best pick is when where you got them uh, as well. I'll go Lloyd Cushenberry, a third rounder, the second LSU offensive lineman taken. Um, and we've gone through and listened to a lot of what John Elway said, who obviously runs the Broncos, and um, what their coaching staff had said. And it was pretty evident that they had had an eye on on Cushenberry all along. And um, I've been reading some stuff, not so much with mock drafts, because they don't go as deep as, you know, very team-specific into the second, third, fourth round and beyond, but – um, I had been reading in the Denver newspaper um, and different column columnists there talking about needs and it identified center as a major need in the draft and really early on said, look, after they get a receiver off the board, which is what everyone's guess would be for their first pick, they should focus on a center and they should go get this guy, Lloyd Cushenberry, 
Uh, a lot of sources are telling the paper type thing that Cushenberry is someone they loved. So to see them get someone they like in the third round like that, and then I could see him turning into a guy that snaps in the NFL for 10 years and um, lands a pro bowl or two and becomes a household name when it comes to centers and a fan favorite with the Broncos. Like I can see all that happening. And then you'll reflect back and think, man, he was a third round pick and not even the first O lineman taken that year. Um, so Lloyd is my pick. I've got some confidence there. I thought that out of all 14 guys that went, I think getting Cushenberry that late in the third round is value. And, and it's a really good pick because he's a really good player. Yeah, and for me, I'm, I'm going to jump back into the first round because I felt like Patrick Queen, as we went through this NFL draft and, and looked at the prospects that rose up the rankings and rose up the draft boards, I think Patrick Queen, when you look at his athletic profile, 4-5-40, productive, still growing into the position, I think he's somebody that we're going to look back and, and say he should have been drafted where maybe Devin White was drafted coming out of LSU. Devin White just ended up being, of course, this freak of nature, had the accolades, uh, didn't come out in the 2018 season as a sleeper. He was already a well-known All-American. And for Patrick Queen, if you stack up what he was able to do uh, in the 2019 season with Devin White, it's it's really impressive uh, for what he was able to do as he continued to grow into the position. So I think for the Ravens to get him in the first round where they did I think he's going to show that he should have been a top 10 pick over the course of his career. And I'm going with the best pick right there. I think it's a great fit. It's an organization that loves to win and is in position to win a Super Bowl. And I think Pat's going to really fit in well in the culture there. So that's my best pick of the draft, uh, which came second uh, to uh, what the best fit is for me in the draft. And that's Clyde Edwards-Hilaire going to Kansas City to round out the number 32 pick in the first round, when you looked at what Kansas City wanted, which was a running back, I feel like everybody knew that Kansas City was going to take a running back potentially in the first round. And they go with Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who really, as far as fit goes, I mean, could you ask for a better offense for him with the amount of passes he's going to catch? He's got Pat Mahomes. There's really not any uh, anybody stopping him from emerging as a legit number one running back in Kansas City. And oh, by the way, they, of course, just won the Super Bowl. They're going to get him a ton of touches. I think if, <laughs> from talking for a, for a fantasy football perspective, you're looking at somebody that is going to be a PPR just killer in, in fantasy football leagues in Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I thought that was a great fit. And while you thought, okay, maybe there'd be another running back before him taken off the board, no one was surprised when the Chiefs plucked Clyde Edwards-Alaire off the board there at the end of the first round. And I think he's a terrific fit. 100%. I mean, that would have been, we talked a little bit before the podcast, that would have been my number one choice as well for all the reasons you said. Um, I think, as Patrick Mahomes put it, if there's one person in this draft that would be there at 32 that would really be a spark plug for their offense or fit in well, it would be Edwards-Alaire. Uh, and they stuck with it and took him and didn't really allow um, seeing other players fall uh, to move them off of their pick. So I like that one. I go Damian Lewis. And here's why I say it. A, I think that Ethan Posick being in Seattle is a good thing. No, they weren't ever lined up together at LSU. But as an LSU guy, look, Posick came from the Midwest and went to LSU 
and it's in his blood. I mean, he's back for games. He's best friends with uh, Will Clapp and KJ Malone and a lot of these different guys who he played with while he was here. Um, he tweets about the Tigers. He follows them all the time. So, you know, he knows who Damian Lewis is. You know, he knows Damian Lewis's story. And when Damian gets in there uh, and gets in that offensive line room, I think Posick's a guy who's probably by now a leader there. And he can take him under his wing. And the Seahawks, I think it hurt enough. Pete Carroll and Ed Orgeron are good friends. It's no uh, shock to us that they took two guys uh, in the draft out of LSU. And uh, you know that Orgeron and, and James Craig sang the praises of Damian Lewis. And Seattle was a team alongside the Bears that in nearly all the mock drafts were projected to land Damian Lewis because they needed an offensive guard. As soon as they got uh, Damian Lewis on board, they parted ways with DJ Fluker. So I think that there is a feeling coming off a Seattle team last year, uh, Billy, that had to play a lot of kind of mix and match on the O-line and they were playing some backups that a guy like Damian Lewis can come in. He's already great in the run game. Uh, he can continue to excel in, uh, as a pass protector. And, you know, I think most people feel Russell Wilson is among the better quarterbacks in the league, obviously, but one of the nicer guys. And he's probably going to be a type of guy who's going to have some patience and and really gravitate towards what uh, Lou brings to, to the field, to the, the locker room, to the O-line unit. And uh, I know they already got a chance to chat about things. Um, the uh, the Seahawks have put out a video of, of Russell Wilson and Damian Lewis FaceTiming. So, I, I just like the fit. I think he's going to be someone who goes in there and ends up playing early. Yeah, I don't think you're far off there with, with Damian Lewis. And again, I look at some of these guys and where they landed. Patrick Queen, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Damian Lewis, guys like that. That is terrific fit from a culture standpoint. You're talking about Pete Carroll, Andy Reid, uh, John Harbaugh, all of those guys. They've, they have winning teams. These guys are coming off of a winning team, obviously, in a national championship. And I think that means something in the NFL when you can add more guys that have won and won big. Uh, as far as a sleeper goes, I'm going with Blake Ferguson because the Miami Dolphins picked him in the sixth round. And a lot of people said, whoa, whoa, whoa. You, couldn't you have waited maybe and either signed him as an undrafted free agent or taken him in the seventh round as a long snapper? He's, but he was the best long snapper in the draft. And they wanted to go ahead and, and get him on board. And it, listening to what Blake has always you know, talked about over the course of his LSU career. And then one of the first things he talked about when the Dolphins drafted him was, was the leadership school schooling that he's been to at LSU and some of the classes he's taken, some of the seminars and, and camps and things like that. And you add that in to him being a terrific long snapper already uh, and just a great character guy. I think that's somebody that you're going to be looking at, you know, 10, 12, 15 years down the road, and he's going to have a nice, nice NFL career. He's, he's somebody that's, you know, never missed a start since he's you know started playing. Uh, so he's durable in that respect. He's consistent. I think that when you talk about special teams and, and people always sometimes, uh, what's it? People always uh, don't pay attention to the kicking and punting until they mess up or whatever. Well, you need a great long snapper to do all those things. And, and starting there, he can be kind of a building block on the special teams front for a team and be a captain and be a leader and all that stuff eventually. Uh, that he was at LSU. And, and so I just think even though they probably reached a little bit as far as a long snapper in the NFL draft goes, I think Blake Ferguson is, is going to have a terrific career. He's going to be a terrific fit as they try to turn around that culture in Miami and, um, you know, get things back on track with Tua Tonga Bailoa quarterback now. 
Yeah, I think I think Ferguson and his brother are both going to be in the league for a while, long snapping. So kudos to the Ferguson family. Uh, I'm going Jacob Phillips here, and I think he came off the board earlier than most would have thought. You know, like early on day two, the Browns picked him. But I'll give you this, and, and nobody really talked about it. You know, everyone talked about Grant Delpit to the Browns and what him and Greedy could do together, and they'd have Odell and Jarvis on the other side, and it was this LSU flavor. And then Phillips got picked, and nobody, you know, everybody just kind of went back to Delpit. But here's what I'm thinking, that Phillips was what? Mr. Tennessee coming out of high school. He was a 100-plus tackle-a-year guy in high school. He gets to LSU, starts to contribute, as all linebackers here do, before he moves into a permanent starting role over the past two seasons. So in a 3-4 defense, he's starting at middle linebacker next to Devin White, a first-round pick. Finished his second on the team in tackles behind White. Then this year, plays alongside and starts next to Patrick Queen, a first-round pick. He actually, Phillips, led the team in tackles, which not many people would probably have guessed had they not been familiar with the stat sheet. Well over 100 tackles on the year. It's just it's nobody just for me it's like people weren't high on Phillips there was always something he didn't do unbelievably well at the combine but he moved well in drills and it was always sort of an afterthought when it came to Deion Jones and Devin White and and guys who have played here um Patrick Queen you know during that uh, stretch of the past five to six years of them having really elite linebacker play Duke Riley another one I think Phillips can be in that group and I almost think Phillips has a chance uh, to get into Cleveland and play some early. They have a couple of good linebackers, but they wouldn't have picked him uh, that high if they didn't think that uh, he could bring something to him. And being on defense with Delpit and Greedy, two guys he played college football with, uh, I think will help motivate him to to kind of keep pace with everybody else and see the playing time that they're seeing. I, I could be wrong, but I'm probably just a little bit more high on Jacob Phillips than anybody else. Yeah, and I, I see, you know, why. I mean, he just went without any fanfare, and that's a lot of the times where you see some of these guys, you know, years down the road, you say, oh, nobody talked about that. They talked about Grand Delpit going to the Browns, like you said, or, you know, whatever. Um, but, yeah, Jacob Phillips was just consistently there for LSU. And a lot of people talked about it before the season, uh, how, you know, who's going to take over, who's going to beat out Jacob Phillips. That was a storyline at the linebacker battle, and, Ed Ogeron just brought him into his office and quietly told him, look, it's going to be you. It's going to be you. Don't you worry about a thing. And that was the case. That was back when Divinity and, and uh, was working inside a little bit. Patrick Queen was there, and they were going to try to work all that stuff out. And I think that put a chip on Jacob, Jacob Phillips' shoulder. Yeah, totally. And look, a five-star coming out of high school. I mean, this was a top 50 uh, consensus top 50 player. So I'm, uh, I'm, on the, I'm on the Phillips train. I'm very interested to see how he plays out because I don't have this overwhelming confidence. Like I feel like Cushion Berry will start. Edward Gilear will play a bunch. Um, you know, Damian Lewis will end up be starting. Do I know that about Jacob Phillips? Maybe not. Um, but maybe that's why I've got him in this sleeper category. Yeah, it, it, it makes complete sense. And speaking of sleepers, these guys that went undrafted, uh, uh, quite a few of them that ended up signing free agent deals shortly after the draft, pretty much all of them were taken care of by, Sunday early morning after midnight. Uh, the the lone one that was kind of late was Adrian McGee on on Sunday, but most of them were signed relatively quickly after the draft ended on Saturday. Uh, let's talk about a couple that that could end up sticking. And uh, I think for me, I'm going to lead off with Bad Moss, who really uh, a lot of people 
talked about it during the draft. How does Stefan Sullivan get drafted before Thad Moss? Uh, what's the deal? What's wrong? And people kind of forgot that he had a Jones fracture at the NFL Combine that was revealed, and he had surgery on it, and he's been rehabbing since then. And he, look, he's supposed to be ready for training camp whenever that is, you know, however that all works out with the timing of coronavirus stuff or whatever. But he's supposed to be ready, but he still went undrafted. He had a record-setting year for LSU, and he goes to a team in the Redskins that need tight ends. Jordan Reed, Vernon Davis, both no longer with the t- team. Uh, Jordan Reed probably going to end up retiring uh, with Vernon Davis having retired already. And their lone tight ends on the roster are uh, uh, Logan Thomas, who's a quarterback-turned-tight end back from the Virginia Tech days, and then Jeremy Sprinkle, who really hasn't done too much, but is somebody that they like and, and could contribute and as it stands right now, it's probably the starter. So for, for Thad, he can get in there and make an impact right away, and he can play if he's healthy. And so I think in terms of guys that could stick on a roster, I mean, you look at Thad Moss, and he's got to be right up at the top of the list. Yeah, I like the, I like the Thaddeus Moss pick. It's all going to come down to medical, right? Like how, how we saw it at LSU, you know, his ankles had been required surgery, and one had surgery, and they figured out they didn't fix it, and they had to have it again, and then he didn't compete at the combine because of, them finding out he needed another surgery, which is largely why he went undrafted. But I think for the Redskins, like you said, you know the Redskins better than anybody that's listening to this podcast. Uh, and knowing that they don't have a ton of tight end help right now and Vernon Davis and uh, on the way out, yes, maybe uh, Moss is the guy. Um, I'm going to go Derek Dillon. And I'll say it for this main reason. Like there's a bunch of things you could say about Derek Dillon. He made some big plays in college. He was just behind. First round draft pick type receivers, if you're including Chase and uh, Marshall and certainly Jefferson, who already was. Um, but then looking back in high school, too, unbelievable athlete, a four star, a top two, four, seven player, um, a top 10 player in Louisiana was dynamic at quarterback at Pine. But I'll go to the reality. And we didn't see a ton of this on special teams kickoffs because they kick it out of the end zone every time. Uh, but with the punt team, you also didn't see a ton of it because they were scoring all the time. And Zach Von Rosenberg wasn't punting. But when you need a gunner, and you need a gunner more in the NFL than you do in college anyways. So when you need a gunner in the NFL, meaning the guy who's going to be the fastest guy running down there on the kickoff team first, but then on special teams, on your punt coverage and return duties, you're going to need that guy on the outside who can get down there and make the tackle uh, or whatever it might be. And I think Derek Dillon... He's that guy. And for me, the biggest reason I think he makes a 53-man roster is that Thomas McGahee was one of the most popular special teams coordinators at LSU in the past 20, 25 years, uh, has been back into the NFL after leaving LSU. And he's been with the Giants for a stretch. And he had Russell Shepard there for a long time. And Russell Shepard got placed on IR last year. He's still on the team, but um, most signs point to he's probably going to retire. And it's been nine years or something uh, that he's been in the NFL around that. So he's on the back end of things. And he made a career of being the number four, five receiver and the gunner. And he was winning. He won a special teams player of the year award with the bucks for being a gunner. Uh, There's a spot for that in the NFL, just like they would carry a long snapper uh, on your 53 man roster. I think that's what McGee has in mind, knowing Russell Shepard's on his way out. He knows the LSU roster as well as any coach in the NFL. He watches every game. He's a big fan. He's worked here. He grew up around the program. He knows what Derek Dillon can do. And uh, I, it didn't shock me at all that like the second the draft ended, Derek Dillon was the first one that got picked up. And it was to the Giants, to McGahee, 
when Shepard's on the way out of town. So I think if he shows up to camp and looks as they expect him to, he's going to be their fourth or fifth receiver and their starting gunner. And that means that you get to play on special teams and every few weeks someone gets hurt anyways, and you end up playing a handful, what, 10, 15 snaps at receivers. So I've got that in mind for Derek Dillon, and I think that so does the Giants staff. You know, I think that McGahee, a special teams coordinator, will say, how many guys do I get to keep? Okay, cool. One of them will be Derek Dillon. Yeah, and that makes sense. And that goes back to a lot of uh, the things we talk about when ranking players or even looking at these draft prospects. Derek Dillon has the profile to be in the NFL for 10 years and do just what you said. And so that's a great pick. Uh, right off the bat uh, for him to carve out a career like that. And look, uh, anytime you tweeted something before the draft, it was, I always found it funny. Whenever, whenever you tweeted something about Derek Dillon and you mentioned Gunner or whatever, people would say, what, you don't think he can stick in the NFL with, with a wide, you know, as a wide receiver? But look, everybody's got to have a role. And yes, could he emerge as a starter or a third receiver? Sure. But, you know, at the same token, there's a reason why he wasn't a starter at LSU. Uh, but you know what? You got to carve out a role and, I think Derek Dillon, with how great of a guy he is, would be the first one to tell you he'd be very happy with that. 100%. Yeah, I love that people viewed you right. People are in my mentions. Oh, well, why do you think he can only be a gunner? He can't be a receiver. Okay, whatever. And the main point, we don't have to get into the argument about a receiver. Being on a 53-man roster in the NFL ain't no knock. So I don't care if it's called gunner or long snapper or quarterback or whatever. If you're making the roster, that means you're good. It ain't a knock on Derek Dillon's football uh, abilities at all. It's just saying, hey, look, guys like Russell Gage, Russell Shepard, I'm just giving you ones we're familiar with because they played at LSU. They knew their role. They went in the NFL and they became the best at it. And I think that's exactly what Derek Dillon's got in mind. Yeah. And uh, look, they're getting paid to LSU's rookies about to make over $125 million, I believe, just in contracts alone. So shout out to all these guys getting paid. It's awesome to see as well. Uh, we'll get back to our final thoughts on uh, really this podcast on the other side of this break. We've got two things to touch on. They're two very uh, interesting and, and key things to talk about on this pod. So we'll do that on the other side of this break from the Go 24-7 podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome back to the Go 24-7 podcast. Thanks for listening. Shay, you wrote up a great article uh, this week. And and look, this is a positive amid this coronavirus pandemic and sports being shut down. We can kind of dive into some cool topics. And one of them was your take on really who is Mr. Irrelevant for LSU's recruiting classes over the last few years. And guess what? They've panned out. So why don't you tell us a little bit about 
these late signees, these late offers that have been landing with LSU and outperforming what a lot of people probably said about them the day they signed. Yeah, and we can uh, you can go to the, the website, go 24-7. It's on 24-7 Sports as well. Um, I've tweeted out a handful of times, but uh, it's titled Mr. Irrelevant, 31 million and counting. And that number uh, is from 2012 to now. And, and now really means uh, the most recent draft eligible guys. Um, so it's about spanning six or seven recruiting classes. Um, but every time the, lo- the last guy in has been called Mr. Irrelevant. Remember, uh, we've talked about this with like Foster Morrow and Russell Gage and Duke Riley, and it became this storyline of, hey, the guys at LSU were offering a scholarship to, um, you know, that they had been recruiting, but they said, hey, look, we're recruiting other guys nationally. We don't know if we have a spot, but if we do, we definitely want you. And they give them this offer the day of signing day in Morrow's case, um, a couple of days before signing day, a week before signing day. And um, what I found out from looking back through it is um, all but once, which is when Deion Jones in 2012 was the last guy they offered. Um, was the last person in. They were also the lowest ranked person in the class. Now, Deion Jones was a four star, so he wasn't the lowest ranked person. He was just the last one to get a scholarship. But everyone else, Duke Riley, Russell Gage, Foster Morrow. And now you add Lloyd Cushenberry was a 2016 class and Justin Jefferson, the 2017 class. All of them were the last person to get offered to join the class and were also the lowest ranked person to sign with LSU Everybody now that I've mentioned in that list got drafted and remains on an NFL contract. And the oldest of which, Deion Jones, the first one to start kind of this trend of Mr. Irrelevant, last summer got his extension. He was the first one to get up for an extension and signed, what, $50 million extension or whatever. I mean, $60 million. It was a ridiculous number. But it goes in depth of just kind of this hit rate. And Orgeron and Barton Simmons at 24-7 both talk about it. But it leaves open for debate a lot of things, and it's stuff that we um, talk about on the site often, but um, it's a, probably a combination of guys being overlooked. Certainly, Justin Jefferson and Lloyd and Foster didn't get that much better where they went from, you're probably the worst player LSU signing to you're being a first-round draft pick or a third-round draft pick. So there's some of that. There's a lot of development probably from LSU side once you get there. There's certainly a kudos to Orgeron and, and the LSU staff for evaluations. Uh, of being able to say, hey, I don't really care if this kid's a low three-star. I think he can play here. Uh, we trust our evals, and, and Orgeron's talked about that a good bit. And um, the one common theme, I've named all these guys, they're all from Louisiana. So it also points out this reality that uh, Louisiana, which finished as a top five state in draft picks this year, uh, including guys, you know, just saying guys who were born here, doesn't mean they played at LSU, is that, and I thought this would be a good topic for a story one day, but LSU at the end of each cycle, should they just be saving two or three spots and by November say, all right, now that senior seasons are over in Louisiana, I'm just going to go around and pick out the best players that we might not have been heavily recruiting or we might have been kind of a wait and see on. And not that they don't do that now, but they're also balancing it with, well, we're still chasing these national guys. So we don't know if we have the spots, but it's tough to do. I'm not telling Ed Orgeron how to do his job, but uh, and he's a brilliant recruiter and, and way better than me at thinking this out. Uh, but it's almost funny to think about. Like if LSU every November, Billy just said, OK, we saved two spots and now we're going to use them. They would have gotten Edron Cooper last year, who was the, maybe the best linebacker in the state. They would have gotten to Cameron Richardson uh, out of Shreveport, who uh, signed on to play. I believe he's going to Mississippi State, correct? Maybe yeah. Mississippi State. Uh, anyway, really, 
Texas A&M, right? Oh, A&M. Okay, really good corner. Um, so there's a uh, oh, Cameron Richardson. Yes, yes, yes. Mississippi State. Yes. Okay. So you've got guys going to other SEC schools, which furthers my point. Uh, other SEC West schools, they could have gotten those guys, but with Richardson, they never really recruited him. Um, obviously, with Edron Cooper, they came on him late, and he ends up kind of December, the final day, signing with A&M instead of waiting it out. Um, it's just a thought because clearly Louisiana produces talent, and quite often it's guys that after their senior year, they're suddenly in a lot better spot than you had realized. And uh, at that point, maybe a team like LSU is already filled up. So um, I think there's a lot of storylines that can break off of it. But the reality and the point of the story was that somehow, some way between development and good evals and the kids being probably underrated, uh, LSU's lowest ranked kid and the last person in has gotten drafted every single recruiting class. So a, a couple notes, and it, it was an awesome story. Definitely go give it a read on Go 24-7. But one, I think, to Cameron Richardson, if you haven't been following him on Twitter, him posting his track stuff and his workouts and all of that, all of that stuff, that, if that guy doesn't scream draft pick here in a couple of years, uh, well, a few years, uh, I'd, be, I'd be shocked. He's, he's outstanding. He's one of the fastest guys in Louisiana. Terrific athlete. Secondly, how much pressure does this put on Desmond Little as not only the last guy in the class, but he's not even from Louisiana. He's from Alabama. So, Shay, you put a little bit of pressure on uh, Desmond Little, who has a terrific frame, really seems to want it, could very well turn into a, a great player. Uh, but now the pressure's on. Yeah, yeah, that's what I cut when people are the 20 little, you know, the next guy up would be Desmond Little. And uh, before we move on to our final talking point here, I'll throw in this because just because the lowest ranked and the last one in were almost always the same. Uh, and I mentioned it wasn't with Deion Jones. It also wasn't with Damian Lewis in the 2018 class. He wasn't the last guy in, but he was the lowest ranked coming out of Juco. Excuse me, out of Juco. And he was not ranked at all. He had no stars coming out of high school. And he ended up getting drafted. So, um, it's just been an impressive run. It was cool to kind of look it up and realize, whoa, man, this class really drives it home when you add Lewis and Cushenberry and Jefferson as a first rounder. But uh, LSU's done a really good job of uh, those guys at the bottom of the recruiting class that people often say, well, why are you taking them? Those are the guys that end up being draft picks. Yeah, no question. It just always seems to end up that way. I mean, whatever you get, it, I mean, at least for LSU, I mean, it's, whether it's the chip on the shoulder storyline. Or, or what have you. I mean, it's uh, and I go back to a lot of the, the storylines. There's always something that maybe you can point to as to why these guys you know, end up panning out a little bit better than than maybe they were projected to be. But um, look, I mean, that's what makes it an inexact science and certainly is what made it makes it entertaining to go back and point to over these uh, years. And uh, one player that that decided to jump on board with LSU way early on, he's definitely not going to be the last player in the class is uh, Texarkana Pleasant Grove defensive end Landon Jackson committed to LSU on Sunday night. LSU's latest 2021 pickup. The last two, well, really the last three between 2021 and 2022 have been from the state of Texas. It started with Brian Allen Jr. out of Alito in the 2022 class. Then his teammate, JoJo Earl, jumps on board in the 2021 class. Now LSU gets Landon Jackson, and they beat out Texas but mainly as well, they beat out Texas A&M, where he's a legacy. His dad was a walk-on basketball player at A&M. They pull him out of East Texas, which actually, with where he's from in Texarkana, is a little bit of a shorter drive to Baton Rouge. 
than College Station or, or Austin, but uh, this is a top 100 player on 24-7. He's a top five defensive end uh, in the country, whether you look at the composite or 24-7. So uh, this is a big, big land for LSU, and they quietly got him on campus right before the dead period, and uh, this is a big pickup for LSU as they continue to pick up recruiting steam. Yeah, look, and I, I'll say this is about as briefly as I can put it. Two two cycles ago when they were after Sopcher and all these guys and um, and they missed on a number of them on signing day, it was doom and gloom. And uh, Orgeron came around this past cycle um, and got, what, Jaquil and Roy, Jacoby and Guillory, um, Ali Gay out of Juco, the top uh, weak side defensive end or strong side defensive end. Um, but point being put together a really solid D line class. And it was like answer the bell after they had kind of missed on some guys they wanted. This class has a chance to be better. And I say that because I think they're going to get Mason Smith. Who's the number one prospect in Louisiana. Uh, They've already got a commitment uh, on the defensive line and Anthony Hunley out of Miami, who isn't the highest ranked guy in the world. We'll see if he sticks, but his junior film came out and it looked way better than I anticipated it looking for an early commitment. But moving beyond just him, getting a guy like Landon Jackson being in the mix now for Corey Foreman, who decommitted from Clemson, a five-star top player of the country. Uh, when you look at defensive linemen and then having offers out to all these other D linemen out there out of state who are showing sincere interest. And you come, I over didn't think about it. I should have just said it from the start. Savion Jones, obviously out of St. James um, kind of couples with Mason Smith is the two in-state guys. I feel good about them getting and both are, really high level players four stars and above um i just have a feeling i mean if you're knocking down if you can get mason smith savion jones you've already got hunley and you've already got jackson in you're in the mix for Corey foreman you're going to be in the mix for these other national d linemen and edge rushers then um i just get the sense that now they're starting to really pick up some steam with d line recruiting and that's exactly what orgeron wants yeah and to build off that i saw landon jackson in the in the state playoffs before he and his Pleasant Grove team ended up winning a state championship, uh, Class 4A in Texas. And and look, I mean, he is he's terrific. I mean, there's a reason why he's a top 100 player. He was very very highly rated early. He was a five star prospect. He's kind of slid down a little bit, but make no mistake about it. This is somebody that racked up 30 tackles for loss and 17 sacks as a, as a junior, coming off of a torn ACL that sidelined him for his entire sophomore year, where he was really expected to to continue his dominance from early in his high school career. So th- this is a player that has the frame. I mean, 6'6", 240, uh, has the profile that we look for athletically. I mean, it, it's it's terrific uh, to see Ed Ogeron continue to kind of build off of the 2019, or the excuse me, the yeah, the 2020 uh, uh, recruiting class on the defensive line and just uh, clean up. I mean, like you said, Mason Smith, Corey Foreman, Savion Jones, and the thing that stands out about so many of those guys, especially uh, Mason Smith, Savion Jones, because I don't know Corey Foreman's stats off the top of my head. But when you look at the best defensive linemen in the country year after year and, and how productive they are, you look at tackles for loss, you look at, look at sacks. And those three guys are as good as anyone in the country in terms of producing tackles for loss and sacks. Not just disrupting, but actually making the plays and for Landon Jackson and Savion Jones to have the numbers they do from the defensive end spot in sacks and tackles for loss, I mean, that is elite. And that's what LSU's defensive line class is looking like, uh, the direction it's headed uh, going forward. So we could talk plenty more about defensive line recruiting. I'm sure Ed Ogeron might even listen to the pod if we do. 
But, Shay, I think we ought to shut it down. Uh, do you guys have any plans this week as, as we await uh, the month of May and, and now kind of the, the true dead period of, of the sporting world uh, is kind of back on track now? Like this is spring football's over. Yeah. It, it would have been this way anyway for the most part. Yeah, the draft was so much fun because we got to spend a month of no sports getting ready for it and watching it. And now, you know, we'll go this week riding that high of, uh, okay, we can keep pumping out what these guys are saying and what their fit is, but they're not reporting TAs or anything. So there's about to be nothing going on again, but Hey, look, recruiting is one thing that never dies. We do well at covering it. So uh, I think those are the plans for the month of May is just to start hitting recruiting. And I would guess uh, Ed Ron's about to be doing the same. Yep. And you can follow all the recruiting coverage on go 24 seven. Got a great deal right now. That's running out soon. 50% off annual subscriptions, and you get CBS All Access included with that. So right off the bat, you get about $200 in value for about 50 bucks. So a huge deal. If you're like Shay, you can watch all the Survivor you want on CBS All Access. When sports returns, you can get all the live sports and and, uh, reruns you want from CBS All Access. So check it out. It's included in your VIP subscription with Go 24-7. No matter what, even if, you know, after your first year you stick with Go 24-7, you still get CBS All Access uh, included. So check that out. Keep listening to the pod. Keep uh, subscribing to Go 24-7. We appreciate all you guys that jumped on board with the promo. But until next time, uh, this is Billy Embody for Shay Dixon signing off on the pod. Hope everyone has a great rest of the week.